Sunday's Sermon. My name's David Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. On Sunday, we continued our Songs of the Soul and we looked at Psalm 23, that most familiar psalm, and thought about the confidence that we can have in God and who he is. Mike uh, helped us to look at that um, passage and it's great to welcome him to the podcast today. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Great. Now, before we get into Psalm 23, we thought we set this up last week that we want people to be thinking through and letting, in a sense, the the songs of the scriptures sit with them throughout the term. And so we've been sitting in, in wonder for a week. So as you sat in wonder thinking of Psalm 8, what are some of the things that made you, uh, I guess, uh, that you looked at and caused you to rejoice in God and all that he's done? Yeah, look, you bet. It's Tuesday and... Um, that means I've just come off my day off, which is Monday. And something that's been really nice over the last couple of years is that I've been able to match that up with my wife. And so while the kids are at school, we've got the day to ourselves. And we run with um, two principles. The first one is that if it's beach weather, we go snorkeling. Um, and if it's not beach weather, we go cycling. But the second principle is that if it's raining, we make other plans. And so what happened yesterday? Well, guess what? I didn't get to go cycling, and so I'm not talking about how incredible and majestic cycling is as a sport. What a <laughs> gift that has been to us. And um, I'm also not um, I'm not talking about how incredible uh, marine life is. I didn't get to go snorkeling because it was raining, it was pouring. And so what we got up to, I um, did a little bit of Googling in the morning and was sort of looking for a place that Michelle and I could go to, which was giving a bit of a twist on a familiar favourite in the culinary department and yeah i know i know right and i'm, I'm intrigued the, the the favorite and what is the twist well that's right the favorites pancakes oh, um, very good that's yeah, a good one and the, the twist was a japanese restaurant so those guys they they love texture and they didn't disappoint this was a souffle pancake which was quite the treat and so really what what am i rejoicing in there what am where am i detecting the hand of god at that point well human creativity um, I think continues to amaze. We, we've got pancakes and yet suddenly we've got something that's familiar but almost completely different, which is just incredible that these things keep happening. Yeah, I've got to say it's, it's interesting that um, you should say that because as I've been thinking about what has caught my wonder, I guess, through the last week, it's actually been the same thing. It's, it's um, caused me, I think, thinking on Psalm 8 helped me look at what humans do in the world and just sort of, I mean, I know there's lots of rubbish, but but so much that is just brilliant and amazing, and um, and the artistry, all of that kind of stuff, and actually go, that's because God's made us like Him, and I think that that's the thing that I, I've uh, I've been caused to reflect upon and, and and delight in more this week. It's it's been it's been wonderful, but we're uh, now needing to talk about Psalm 23, which is why you're here. So I'll hand you over to Mandy. So, Mike, I think that was really helpful on Sunday as we looked at Psalm 23, but I think you found yourself arguing for a slightly different reading of the psalm than what many of us might be used to. You argued that the metaphor of uh, sheep, um, that that metaphor actually continues throughout the whole psalm. So it doesn't just stop at verse 4 and we don't move to a new metaphor in verses 5 and 6. How did you come to understand that that was actually the right reading of the psalm? Yeah, look, first thing to say, Psalm 23 is uh, just a super well-loved psalm. Um, it's very well-known, perhaps the, the most well-known and perhaps the most well-loved psalm of all the psalms. 
And so when I um, found out that I'd rostered on um, to, to speak on this psalm, uh, that was great news, partly because I hadn't preached on it before, actually. And it's a real joy when you realise um, you're not just going to be going back to a previous sermon you've written and sort of reheating and reworking that, but you're actually going to take the time to spend a significant amount of time in, in, in a text that you perhaps haven't looked at in, in great detail before. Yeah. And um, I'm actually a little surprised that this um, sort of a bit of a different reading has come about, actually, and it, uh, I'm more than happy to, to share with you how that happened. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Like, so what happened? What were you doing when you sort of got to it? What made you raise the question to go, hang on, how's this happening? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I can actually, um, it started about one and a half weeks ago and I was opening up and, and really looking at verse three. So the NIV there renders the underlying Hebrew text as he refreshes my soul. And um, that, that took my interest because it didn't seem to be a, a particularly direct rendering of the Hebrew. And so what I did at that point, I actually shot off a question to um, a group of friends that I have. And, and this is um, a group that I've known for, for 20 plus years. Uh, we communicate daily. Um, there's nine of us. And uh, we're, we're pretty much always sort of tossing these sort of questions back and forth, whether it's related to to exegesis or doctrine or, or even a whole range of, of broader things. And so what, what I did was I sent this message off to him. I said, um, uh, would it not be more straightforward to render um, this verse as something like, he returns my life to me. Has anyone come across this before? Yeah. Um, so that's because you're looking at the Hebrew yourself and doing the work in there and going, that doesn't seem to line up. Yeah, look, and, and my concern at this point was that the, the translation seemed to be starting to hide the sheep and shepherd metaphor, um, instead preferring to talk directly of David's relationship with God. Okay, so now I know some of these nine friends of yours and if we think Mike's clever, some of these guys are crazy clever. So there's four PhDs amongst the group. At least one of them is a Hebrew scholar. Uh, did they have anything helpful to say? Uh, well, well, they did. Um, one, one of them is actually a professional Hebrew Bible translator. So it's a, it's a great group to kick ideas around with. Um, and look, one of them actually looked up Robert Alter for me. Um, and he's a scholar who's produced his own renderings of the Psalms. Now, before we sort of follow him up a little bit, it's worth saying he does have a particular axe to grind yeah, because we don't just want to, every time we look at something, to produce a new reading of the Psalms and a new translation each week. No, that's right. You, um, It's a huge amount of work, and so you only do it if you've got a good reason to do it. And his, his big thing is that he sort of argues that our, our standard English translations um, have often, he, he would argue in the Psalms, erred on the side of interpreting the Hebrew text for us uh, rather than doing what he would prefer, which he labels representing the Hebrew text in English. Now, we, we can see what he means um, with this p particular verse, actually, because he suggested that what the NIV renders as, he refreshes my soul, well, Alter actually goes with my life, he brings back. And actually, that was very much in line with what I was thinking. I was thinking that hang on, that, that, that's not actually what the underlying Hebrew text says. And so um, right at the, the start, this was quite encouraging, at least someone else had noted that there's there's something going on here and that the NIV was, was actually starting to do something a little interesting. 
And um, and then another of my my friends in this group also directed me to the Christian Standard Bible, which now that's formerly the Holman Bible, and it translates that verse as "He renews my life." Again, um, that was very much in line with what I was thinking, because very much in line with actually what the Hebrew at at a very basic level was saying. That's quite intriguing, though, isn't it? Because the NIV is a is a good translation of the Bible. It is it is right that it's the Bibles we use at church. It, it, they're, they're, it's, it's excellent, and presumably they know what they're doing. But then presumably the translators of the Holman also know what they're doing. So so why do you think the NIV translators decided to get rid of the metaphor so quickly and, and go with what they did? Yeah, look, that that's a, a crucial point to be made. Um, translators of this calibre, um, that, that they're just top shelf, and they don't make errors in one sense. Um, they do what they do for a reason. And so at this point in my preparation is really to try and work out why did they decide to do what they've done. And, um, and so we, we started kicking this around in the group. And uh, one of my friends um, suggested that, you know, I, I guess it's making the move from the shepherding domain back to its possible meaning for us. So that's, that's what he's written back to me when I start sort of posing this question. And as I've thought about it more and, and done a little bit more research, I think that he's pretty much almost certainly correct at that point. What, what the translators have done there, they've jumped straight to what the metaphor was referring to rather than staying within the metaphor. Um, now, that understanding or, or sort of rationale for why the translated, translators had done that was actually backed up when another of the friends shot through a, a couple of relevant bits from a book called A Translator's Handbook on the Book of Psalms. Now, it's a, it's a significant book. It's published by the United Bible Societies. They are a, a huge translation outfit. These guys know what they are doing. And this is what they've said about verse 3. They said um, on, on, on the, the, the text there, he restores my soul. And their comment there is, this line is literally, he causes my nefesh, so my soul or my life, to return. So they're saying the underlying Hebrew is, he causes my life to return. And then they, they start exploring the meaning. And so they say the meaning is to restore vitality, vigor, strength, to renew, invigorate. This statement seems to express the result of Yahweh's care as described in verse 2. Now, so that's what that book has said. Now, all of that I think we can agree with. That, that's really just what the underlying Hebrew is saying. But it's the next line that makes the jump. Uh, that says, He restores my soul must sometimes be rendered in idiomatic terms. For example, he puts a new heart in me or he makes my liver like new. We all need new livers. Well, actually, I hope we don't all need new livers. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are some people that do. Now, that's, so that's a, a, that, that final one there is quite idiomatic, isn't it? And um, the NIV, we, we have come up with, I guess, their own idiomatic sort of phrase there, it refreshes my soul. And, but my point here is that, that right there we're seeing a big jump from the underlying Hebrew to a translation of the Hebrew into an idiom appropriate for humans, uh, which is not appropriate for sheep. I mean, you'd never say that a sheep has had its soul refreshed. You, you just wouldn't know what that looks like. And so the point there is that they've already jumped out of the metaphor. So that they've, they've made that decision that it can't still be in, in the metaphor. All right, well, if we, if we are still in the metaphor, uh, how deep does this rabbit hole go if I'm going to move on to different animals. No, we'll, we'll stay with the sheep. One animal's enough. But uh, does it continue, right? Um, does the psalmist want us to read the whole psalm uh, or does at some point, is it, is it fine for him to just say, no, I'm stepping out of the, the, the sheep-shepherd metaphor now? 
Yeah, and that that's the key question. So uh, another friend wrote back and said, well, you know, given that the psalm does break out of the metaphor at verse 5, uh, why not break it here? And so um, um, precisely what he wrote to me was, what would it even mean for a sheep to have a table prepared for them in the presence of their enemies or to have their head anointed with oil, to have their cup overflow or to dwell in the house of the Lord? And so he was very much along the lines of, well, the, the metaphor does get broken at some point, so uh, why not break it a little earlier than perhaps I, I was hoping that um, that they would? And um, I, I think it's probably fair to say at first glance, actually verse 5 does sound a little tricky to keep the metaphor continuing. Yeah, hard to see how it would at that point. Yeah, I, I guess um, the point it's worth dwelling on there is at first glance, I think it does seem difficult. Um, it does seem a bit tricky. If we extend that a, a bit more, uh, we might say at first glance through the eyes of 21st century Australians, it's hard to see how that is still talking about sheep and a shepherd. Um, but what I tried to do on Sunday was to show how uh, actually, if, if you know a bit about raising sheep uh, in the land of Israel in around 1000 BC, actually the, the original Hebrew language there, the underlying ideas, the concepts, what's being conveyed is actually not that hard to understand. Well, well, let's think about then with the table in the presence of the enemies and what that might mean if we're staying with the sheep. Yeah, that that's a key one, isn't it? Um, as I said on Sunday, at, at times... The Old Testament does use this phrase of preparing a table to refer to an actual table. But Psalm 78 is really useful for us here because it uses preparing a table as an idiom for the provision of food. And um, if again, if you come back to what shepherds actually did in the day, if you know something about how they cared for their sheep and, and how they provided food for them, well, actually, they did prepare pasture lands. They, they removed toxic plants. I mean, this is, this is actually a key role um, that a shepherd would do. Now, I need to just ask something as well on that. So are you saying that the enemies uh, are the plants or is that could be – it could be is preparing the table that is clearing the land so that it's – or could it be – so I can conceive of – making it um, accessible to animals and they've got a safe place to eat where they're protected from wolves and, and beasts. Could, could, could it be that as well? Or is, I guess, that, that would stick in the metaphor. Oh, exactly. Um, and I, I do wonder about so, sometimes when I sort of think back about, uh, even as I'm writing it, how, how much do you, yeah, you, yeah. you just talk more and more about this? Because um, we've, we've mentioned sheep are, are vulnerable on Sunday. Mm. And they're vulnerable to predators. So, yeah, so it could yeah. be you're preparing this pasture land in the presence of enemies that surround it and are looking on and just waiting for a sheep to stray away and, and then to attack. And yet they can eat in safety because it's the shepherd's there. And yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly right. So well, what about the anointing with oil? Um, because, you know, anointing is one of those kind of ding, ding, ding sort of words, especially when you're thinking of it's the Psalm of David. So it does seem to recall the anointing of a human king and you might go, well, surely now, surely now he's talking about himself. Oh, exactly right. You you read this in English and you think, okay, well, yeah, we're, we're now talking about the anointing of a king. Um, well, it sort of conveys that in the English, but but not in the Hebrew. And at this point, and I hate to sort of, sort of say I'm not happy with um, an English translation, but I'm actually not happy with the NIV at this particular point. 
Um, in the Hebrew, it, it's a it's a much more common word. It's not the anointing of a king word that's used here, because that's quite a significant. You know, that is a, a red. Uh, that's the word we get Messiah from. So so it's certainly one that you don't miss. So it's not that word. No, it's not. It's not that word, and it's very common we, we could really translate it as moisten with oil which which is actually the the phrase that Robert Alter ends up going with he, he thinks um, again coming back to his point um, he, he'll argue that at times our NIV translators interpret um, the Hebrew for us rather than representing it for us mm. and and so on, on Sunday I talked through what the the reader back in the day would understand by um, this moistening of the head of a sheep with oil and that is protecting the, the sheep against fly strike and, and lice and so on. It's the protection, again, from enemies that, that it's talking about. Yeah, so, so really uh, a, a lot of this gets us to think about what's our philosophy of translation, isn't it? Like what, what, mm. um, what is the purpose of the translation? Is it just to do a one-for-one, word-for-word replacement? Do you make changes to make it accessible because you're not giving it in Hebrew and you are and Hebrew sentence structure is all different and, and so do you have any thoughts really on what is the purpose of a translation yeah look I, I mean if we zoom in on the details of this particular one um, we, we might say well would would it have been a better translation if the NIV had instead said that you moisten my head with oil the question we've got to ask at this point was how many readers today would then read that and think, okay, so it's talking about protecting the sheep from fly strike. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone there. No, I, I don't <laughs> think it'd be in the top 10. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. And, and so at that point you'd end up with um, what I think would be a more accurate translation of the Hebrew, but you'd end up with an English version that very people would actually know what that actually means or what it's referring to. And so you can actually defend the NIV translation on, on this basis that if the metaphor is ultimately referring to King David, um, if that, we might say, is what the communicative intent is of this verse, then then why not just translate it as David more directly talking about himself? Now, that's the argument anyway. Yeah, so so really the, the job of a, of a translator is is really hard, isn't it? Um, how you, there's so many judgment calls that get get made along the way, um, but I guess it does raise another issue, and that is we're dealing with a dearly loved psalm, and there's always going to be some reluctance and make it hard to to, to change a, a psalm that has tra- traditionally meant so much to people and been, especially given that how often do we use these? It's the most used in my experience at a funeral, mm. and so. When, when a psalm like that has had such an impact on you as it in the more traditional translation, it, it's, yeah, it's hard to know what to do there. It is. Look, it, it points us to a pretty challenging area of translation, which is there, there is occasionally a commercial aspect to it. Mm. Um, and so think about this for a moment. If a new translation has come out, let's say it's an update of the NIV or let's say it's a, it's a whole brand new translation that, there's a lot of advertising material for and, and so on. And you've walked into your favourite uh, bookseller and you're considering whether this might be your new Bible translation. Um, well, what do you do? Well, often you you open up your favourite Bible passages and you have a read and, and you kind of think, well, do I like it? Do I still like it? Have, or have they wrecked my favourite verse? Uh, and so people will look up passages like Psalm 23 or they'll look up passages like John 3.16 
and they'll say, oh, hang on, no, they've changed it. Oh, okay, no, they've wrecked it. I think, I think I'll stick with the one I like. And so part of me wonders, and I have no evidence to base this on apart from just wondering, um, when we start seeing newer, fresher translations um, changing, but um, existing translations and, and minor updates to translations sort of sticking with a rendering which is sort of the, the, the more newer uh, translations are moving away from, you do wonder whether there's an element of, oh, this is a verse we just can't change because no one would like it. Yeah, and so it's helpful to really think through the the translation issues and sort of making sure that we've understood the psalm in its context. Um, and so thanks for doing that and helping us to understand that. Um, but what about, um, uh, were there anything else that you came up against that you didn't get to cover in as much detail on Sunday that you might have uh, liked us to, to think about? Yeah, look, there's plenty there. Um, sometimes stuff gets left on the, the chopping room floor. And so you've written stuff and you've just got to, um, often what I'll do is I'll, I'll grab it and put it at the end and I'll have a section at the end of my Word document that just says cut. And um, you might have, you could even have a couple of thousand words there sitting there. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff with this particular psalm that didn't even get to that stage, which is to say there is no way in the world I'm going to have any time to actually explore a whole bunch of other things. Um, and one of those, of course, is is this shepherd theme. Mm. Um, it's a big one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we could go back into Genesis and um, it's been pointed out to me that um, it is interesting that, that God's people right from the very beginning were, were shepherds, actually. This is um, caring for livestock is, is an image that they know well. Um, so in, in Genesis, we, we've got God's people, they're nomadic shepherds. They're, they're wandering around, they're, they're moving their, their herds through and, and so forth. Um, and at that point you say, well, hang on, why, why did God create a people to be shepherds? Um, and you start thinking, well, if, if this is where the biblical revelation is going, that actually the shepherd theme is going to be a big one in understanding who Jesus is and, and God's care of us and so on, it actually makes perfect sense that God would create his people to be nomadic shepherds right from the very beginning. So do you want to take us through a little bit, like are we going to do a bit of a, a whiz through some of the passages in the Old Testament that really help us look at this shepherd theme, which enrich our understanding then of Psalm 23? Yeah, to- totally. Look, um, Shepherd's uh, terminology pops up early on in Genesis because that's what, what God's people are doing. But it, it's significant in only Genesis 48 verse 15 is where Jacob calls God his shepherd um, at that point. And that brings us into this broader picture of God being the shepherd of his people. And it's within that sort of um, construct that Psalm 23 fits nicely within that, that. It says that's where the, uh, the metaphor in the Bible begins up until... He says that it's just there were shepherds. These people happen to be shepherds. But then suddenly Jacob takes it and uses it poetically. It says, here is the Lord who is my shepherd. Um, now, Mandy's got the passage there. Do you want to read that for us? Yeah, so in uh, Genesis chapter 48, verse 15, uh, it says, Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day and the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. So so we've got the patriarchs of God's people, you've told us, they're shepherds, and then we've got Jacob 
going from that and saying the Lord's my shepherd. Where does the shepherd theme go from from there, Mike? Yeah, it, there is another aspect to it, and that's how the Old Testament will speak of the religious leaders of the day as being shepherds. Now, not the shepherd, so they're, they're not uh, God, but we might say more as assistant shepherds or um, we might talk of them as being sub-shepherds. And what the Old Testament often spoke about was how these sub-shepherds, so these, these leaders, religious leaders of God's people, how they, how they failed. You know? So they, they'd actually not done their job. And if we generalise a little bit, we would say that instead of pointing God's people to the protection that only God as the shepherd can provide, the religious leaders of the day, they pointed the people away from God, uh, away from God's protection. And a key moment when the, the consequences of that failure is seen is, of course, the destruction of Jerusalem. We, we see that played out in the book of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel warns the nation about the failure of their shepherds and warns about the, the judgment that will follow. And so Ezekiel 34 verse 2 Uh, if I read that one to us. So this is what the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Yeah, so look, what Ezekiel's saying there is that the religious leaders of the day, that these shepherds of God's people, they'd failed. Uh, They hadn't directed the people to God, to the one who could protect them. Why is that? Well, they were actually too busy looking after themselves. And look, if we keep reading Ezekiel, we'll find out that it's because those shepherds failed that actually God's people suffer. So uh, Ezekiel 34 verse 5, So they, the people, were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. And so you you see what happened there, right? So when these religious leaders, when these sub-shepherds, when they failed to point the people to God and to the protection that only he can provide, well, the people lost their protection. Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were scattered. And so there's biblical precedence here for using shepherd language to highlight the failure of religious leaders. And really, that's part of what points us to Jesus, the shepherd, and how this psalm is ultimately about Jesus, the shepherd. Yeah, that's right. We, we tossed up a little bit in, in the sermon on Sunday that on one hand, we can see that Jesus is the sheep. He fulfills that role, but he also fulfills the role of shepherd. And so Ezekiel actually really helps us out a bunch here. Um, what God declares through the prophet Ezekiel is that in response to the failure of Israel's shepherds, God himself will come. God himself will shepherd his people. Mm, and really that's what he's saying there, isn't it, in, uh, in John chapter, chapter 10, verse 11, for this is what the Lord God says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. 
I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. Not John, immediately, Sorry, from, I, from Ezekiel. Um, it sounds John-like. It does sound John-like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, this, this, is a, this is a big promise, right? This is a huge promise. It's, it's actually one of the biggest promises in the Bible. But what did God mean by it? What, what exactly would it look like for God to fulfill that prophecy? Well, we're given the details a bit further down. God promises to send a new king to be his shepherd. And, and that's verse 23. So God says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. It's interesting, isn't it, how he, it riffs on David, and we've we uh, we should be very familiar with him by now after after looking at him in one one Samuel and, and especially this aspect of him. But who who is the new king? Yeah, well, that, that's right. Who's this new king? It's not King David. Um, he's well and truly dead at this stage in Ezekiel. Uh, but it's talking about someone in his line, a, a new king from David's line, and so the Old Testament leaves us with this expectation that God Himself will shepherd his people, and he'll do it in the king from David's line. And, of course, today we, we can see this fulfilled in Jesus. And so that's a sense in which um, I didn't really explore much on Sunday. I, I sort of There may have been um, a 20-second reference to Ezekiel and, and so on, but there's a sense in which um, the, the protection that we're given comes to us in Jesus as our shepherd and in his teaching that he provides. Yep. And really, that's sort of the picture I found myself as we were looking through that. I've got to get us to the New Testament uh, eventually. We're not going to go to John, but I'm thinking in Matthew chapter 2, we've got, so he's quoting there from Micah, uh, but he talks about the leader that's to come. And then it says, For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Mm. And that ruler we know is Jesus. So um, there we go. We have well and truly dealt with the idea of shepherd. But to be honest, um, it is huge and it is quite possibly even a bigger theme than we might have already thought it was. I, th- I think um, just even as we've been exploring this, some ideas have come into my head that I thought, oh, I wonder if that's that's tapping on. But let's let's leave shepherds behind for a bit. Um, as we as we bring things to a close, so some big themes throughout this. Um, an important thing is is that I, I mean I know this as somebody who's written talks and Mandy does as well. That when when you when you sit in it for a while, you sit in the Word of God and um, uh, it ministers to you before it even gets to minister to anyone else. So as you've prepared this psalm, how has it especially um, nourished you and? Uh, how do you find that this song of contentment has been your song, I guess? Yeah, look, I um, I found myself, as I prepared for this, which was about a one-and-a-half-week process, I kept coming back to this reminder that I, I wanted to make for myself, which is make sure I, I spend a little bit of time dwelling on sheep and why sheep in particular are actually quite interesting as an animal Um to, to think about the, the care that they need because they're very vulnerable. Now, as it turns out, um, it ended up being something that didn't even get written up, so it didn't get <laughs> cut and put at the end of the, the, the document. Um, it didn't even make it in because I, um, I ran out of time, really. I ran out of space, I should say. I had, had plenty of time to prepare, but I ran out of time in, in the sermon to actually say it. And it was actually really helpful that I think it was Sunday morning 
that the question came in when someone asked about mm-hmm. that. Let, let's yep. explore this. So yep. fantastic question. And that in particular was playing in my mind a little bit during, during the week. Um, this idea that um, we feel like we're in control, um, but a, a moment's life experience tells you that actually best laid plans um, can go up in smoke in overnight, yeah. right? And I think that's worth thinking about. Sheep are vulnerable. They follow their leader. And so there's a sense in which that's us. Mm-hmm. Even though we think that we are complete in control of, of what's happening and where we're going and what's going on, um, well, actually, God is sovereign. And, and the, the, the incredible assurance from this passage is that when um, the Lord is your shepherd, mm-hmm. uh, we'll actually be provided for, we'll be protected and it came up in the question on Sunday morning as well. And that, that was this question, well, let's explore this idea of what, what protection are we talking about? Um, are we saying that we, we won't fall into financial ruin? Uh, are we saying that um, I won't have a, a, a shocking accident and, um, you know, um, not be able to walk for the rest of my life? Well, no, it's not saying that. The protection that we're offered here is uh, this promise that nothing will separate us from God's love. And so if we think about the full sort of broad brushstrokes of the Bible storyline, um, God is creating a people for himself. Um, Satan's big goal is to, to separate God's people from him. And what we're hearing is that in, in the ups and downs of life, that uh, we are a bit like sheep. We, we, we follow our shepherd. Our shepherd will lead us, will guide us, and we actually will be with God uh, in the final day. Um, as that as eternity expands before us in heaven, that's where we'll be. And so I think it's been an incredible um, encouragement um, to me personally, um, as I sort of reflect on the journey that I've had in my life so far, um, but also w- what's next, mm. that um, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and isn't that, it's just such a great encouragement. And what we've been doing so far this series is actually trying to end by reflecting on some words of poetry or a song that pick that up. And so during the week, I stumbled across a poem by Isaac Watts, uh, one that we're quite familiar with, God Our Shepherd. And it really picks up on lots of what you're talking about, Mike, of the, the contentment that we can have because of who God is. So listen with me. God Our Shepherd. My shepherd is the living Lord. Now shall my wants be well supplied. His providence and holy word become my safety and my guide. In pastures where salvation grows, he makes me feed, he makes me rest. Their living water gently flows and all the foods divinely blessed. My wandering feet his ways mistake, but he restores my soul to peace and leads me for his mercy's sake into the fair paths of righteousness. Though I walk through the gloomy vale where death and all its terrors are, my heart and hope shall never fail, for God's my shepherd's with me there. Amidst the darkness and the deeps, thou art my comfort, thou my stay. Thy staff supports my feeble steps, thy rod directs my doubtful way. The sons of earth and sons of hell gaze at thy goodness and repine to see my table spread so well with living bread and cheerful wine. How I rejoice when on my head thy spirit condescends to rest. Tis a divine anointing shed like oil of gladness at a feast. Surely the mercies of the Lord attend his household all their days. 
there will I dwell to hear his word, to seek his face and sing his praise. So this has been Sermon Seasonings, Episode 2. I've been Dave. I've been Mandy. And I've been Mike. Join us next week as we look at a psalm 